This is the Woodland Hills Family Church Podcast. Our desire is to inspire you and your family to become fully devoted followers of Christ. Now, enjoy today's message with Travis Bronner. And today we're continuing our series, our Christmas series, What Child Is This? And uh, today we're uh, moving on in the book of Luke. We're covering all of the book of Luke in this series. We're moving on to verses 8 through 21 as we talk about the angel and the shepherds. And it's interesting when you look at the entire scenario so far, the Christmas story, right, from the outside looking in, not those that were directly involved like Mary and Joseph and Zachariah and Elizabeth, but, but for those that, that were on the outside looking in, this can look like a really bad run of really bad luck and circumstances and even you could say consequences for decisions, right? As you're on the outside looking in, like for instance, Mary and Joseph were engaged to be married and she comes up pregnant. And then, oh, by the way, it's not Joseph's child that she's pregnant with. And so from the outside looking in, it can look real suspicious and have a lot of consequences. And then as she's nearing a time to give birth, they're told, you have to travel 80 to 100 miles away, go on a road trip that you didn't want to go on uh, because a decree has been given by Caesar Augustus. And so they head out on this road trip, and, and we don't know for sure how they got there. Uh, we always see pictures of, of Mary on a donkey. We're not sure, but part of it may have been just been on foot. Um, and uh, then they get there, and there's nowhere for them to stay. And then she goes into labor, and then gives birth in some stables, has nowhere to lay the baby except in a manger. And then from the outside looking in, that can look really rotten, can it? Um, not knowing what was going on. And when you hear all of those consequences, it reminds me of a beloved family that we see this time of year that certainly has had problems with road trips in their past. There they are. You knew, right? The girls, we don't need a picture, right? Right. Cousin Eddie's the only one missing, all right? But the Griswolds, right? Road trip and everything built in. And the con- everything that they were dealing with, this is from the outside looking in. But then there was a select group that knew what was going on, that was on the inside of these happenings looking out and, and understanding what God was doing. And we don't know for sure how big that group was. We don't hear details about everybody that knew and specifically what they knew. But we do know a few of them. For instance, Mary and Joseph, of course, they knew. Zechariah and Elizabeth, they knew. But then there's this John the Baptist that knew, who was yet unborn even, when we get evidence that he knew. And we read in Luke 141, said when and when Elizabeth, who was pregnant with John, heard the greeting of Mary, who was pregnant with Jesus, the baby, John, leaped in her womb. Leaped in her womb. There's this term called quickening, which is a term to describe when the mother can start to feel the baby move inside of her. And, and, and some of you uh, ladies have experienced that. And as that baby gets bigger, those movements can get more uncomfortable, can't they? I'm not speaking from experience here, okay? Uh, just a disclaimer. Uh, I've been told uh, it can get kind of uncomfortable, like a head and a shoulder pushing up against the lungs where you can't get a good breath. Or like a foot stepping down on a bladder when you're not near a restroom. can be really uncomfortable, right? But we hear this, this movement, though, that took place with John and Elizabeth. He leaped in her womb. I wonder what a leap inside of the womb is like. I don't know, but I'm guessing it was something like, whoa! <laughs> like limbs everywhere, right? And it had to be pretty uncomfortable for Elizabeth. And I'm going to say she might have even peed a little. 
because this was a leap inside the womb. What's really cool here is the word in the Gospel of Luke that's used to talk about this baby John is the word brephos. And in the Greek, the word brephos does not distinguish between born and unborn. This word brephos is used to describe an embryo, up to a fetus, up to a month-old baby and beyond. Brephos. How cool is that? And affirming in that we believe that life begins at conception. And God used this brephos John, yet unborn, to be on the inside looking out, knowing what was going on. By the way, remember the author of this gospel is Luke. What was Luke's profession? He was a physician. Luke knew what he was saying here. This brephos that he was writing about, this unborn child, life inside the womb that was on the inside looking out. Now, we have this small group of people that know, but as we move on today into verse 8 and beyond and the angel and the shepherds, we're going to see that this small group is going to expand and that we're going to see the proverbial cat out of the bag as far as this knowledge of Jesus goes. And a couple of weeks ago, Alex Hamaya talked about the conception of Christ, and last week, Ted talked about the birth of Christ up into laying him in the manger wrapped in swaddling cloths. And so we're going to pick up in verse 7 today in Luke chapter 8. You can read it along on the screens, or you can open your Bible if you want to. But it goes like this. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. So we're going to pause with the shepherds here, these people that God is using in this story. And we know some things about the shepherds, some things we, we for sure know, and some things are a little less certain that are speculated. The thing we know for sure is that they were lowly and humble. They had to be for the profession that they were in, for their vocation, for their job. They were lowly and humble. They had to humble themselves to carry out this task because it was, it was thought of as, as a lowly task. Now, some would say that they were even cast out of society, that they weren't uh, they were considered unclean, couldn't participate in the religious traditions, that they were even regarded as, as lowly thieves. We don't know that specifically. What we know for certain is that they were lowly and humble. The other thing we know is they were godly men that knew the word of God, that knew the prophecies of God. How do we know that? Well, we'll see here in a little bit in the passage that when they were told about the Christ, about the Savior, they knew what the angel was talking about. They didn't say, what do you mean a Savior? Christ the Lord, who is that? They knew the prophecies that God had given them. They knew very well what was written about this child that was to be born. So what can we learn from the shepherds right off the bat in this passage that, that if we want to prepare ourselves to be used by God for great things in his kingdom, we should do two things. One is humble ourselves before God and before men and know the scripture. Humble ourselves and know the scripture so that we can be ready for God to use us in mighty ways. Luke 2, verse 9, then, goes on. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not. So we, we see this occurrence where an angel appears to them, their first response is fear, and the angel says right away, Fear not, don't be afraid. Well, this, this is a pattern leading up to this moment that we've seen several times. First, when the angel appeared to Zechariah, Elizabeth's husband, saying that she was going to bear a child, and it would be John that, that would cause the people to repent. And, and when the angel appeared to Zechariah in the temple, fear fell upon him, and the angel's response was, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. And then in Luke 1.30, we read about the angel Gabriel appearing to Mary, 
and telling her, of course, what we know he tells her. And when he greeted her, she was troubled. And what did the angel say to her? Do not be afraid. And then in Matthew 1.20, we read about the angel appearing to Joseph in a dream, telling him that he should go ahead and marry Mary. And what did he say when the angel appeared to Joseph in the dream? said, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. Do not fear. And now we hear the angel telling the shepherds when fear fell upon them, what did he say? Fear not. So we see the angel to Zechariah, do not be afraid. To Mary, do not be afraid. To Joseph, do not fear. Now to the shepherds, fear not. And so what's the pattern that we're getting? God is appearing to someone, and he's telling them, hey, I'm going to use you for something big. There's something big that's going to go down, and you're going to be central to it. But first, I need you to chill out. That's my paraphrase, by the way. I need you to not have any fear. And you may be walking with the Lord, and the Lord might be calling you to something that's a big deal. And usually when he's calling you to something that's a big deal, it's going to be a little bit out of your comfort zone, right? Something you're not used to. And what's the first response? The natural response is fear. A little bit afraid of what's going to happen, of what might happen, of what, what might not happen. And what's God's response to people that he approaches with something that he's going to do, and they experience fear? He says, fear not. So we should not be afraid when we feel the Lord calling us to something great. Why? Because God won't give you anything you can't handle. Good, that's not true. No amens there. That's good. You passed, okay? God will give you things you cannot handle. Constantly he will, right? But why should we not fear? I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. God will call you to great things and he is with you. He does not want you to fear. He will not allow you to face any temptation that there's no escape from, but I promise he will give you things that you can't handle. I also promise he won't give you anything that he can't handle. That's why we draw near to the Lord in the things that he's calling us to. And he tells us, do not be afraid. Do not have fear. Fear not. Moving on in verse 10. He said, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Again, the shepherds knew exactly what the angel was talking about talking about the, the good news, which Ted talked about at length last week, about what good news, about what the, the gospel means. It means the good news that will be of great joy. Who? For all the people. Who does that mean? All the people. All people. This is for all the people. The Savior who is Christ the Lord. This is it. This is the big proverbial cat out of the bag. Where, where God, through the angel, is telling these shepherds, who we'll see later on, spread the news that this is the Christ, this is the Savior. Verse 12, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling, in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. This is a very heavy, thick, rich verse right here that there's a lot to. And I want to unpack it, but first um, I want to share um, something with you that is a little personal um, that I talked to my wife and said, is it really something that we should share with the church? And she said, yes, I think... I think it would probably be okay. Um, the rest of my family um, takes my fingernail clippers from my drawer. <laughs> I know. Uh, and here's why that's a big deal. When I need nail clippers, I like to know that I can go to my drawer where I need, leave my nail clippers and get my nail clippers, right? 
because after I use my nail clippers, what do I do so that I know that they're there every time? I put them right back there. Well, for whatever reason, the rest of the family doesn't put their nail clippers back in a place that they know that they'll find them. And so when, when they can't find their nail clippers, guess where they know they can go find a pair of nail clippers? In my drawer, top right drawer, front right part. They can go right to it, they can find them every time. So when they can't find theirs, they take mine. And guess what, next time I need them, do you think they put my nail clippers back where they belong? No. They end up somewhere in the pit that is the abyss where nail clippers go in our house. There must be hundreds of them there. Because when I can't find mine right where they belong, I'm not going looking for them. I'm going and buying more and putting them in my drawer so I can have them there. This happened again not too long ago. And uh, <laughs> I go to use my nail clippers. They're not there. I pick up my phone and I immediately ordered 20 pair of nail clippers. <laughs> I wanted to go more, but something said, me, said inside of me, this is a little excessive, okay? My wife walks in the bathroom. I said, I fixed the nail clipper problem. She said, what'd you do? I said, I bought 20 pair. She said, how much did that cost? I said, I don't care. <laughs> I got them, I put them in a Tupperware bowl in a drawer in the middle of the kitchen and I told everyone in the house, this is where you can find nail clippers. Please do not take mine. <laughs> problem solved, right? And thank you Woodland Hills for letting me get that off my chest. I feel better. Back to the baby, uh, wrapped in swaddling claws, <laughs> lying in a manger. Did you know that baby and swaddling claws has to do with fingernail clippers? You see, my whole family knew where they could go, exactly where they could go to find fingernail clippers. That is the detail that the angel gave the shepherds about where they could find Christ. That specificity of wrapped in swaddling claws, lying in a manger in the city of David. They go to this small town, find these stables with a baby lying in a manger wrapped in swaddling claws. And that's important for two reasons, this specificity and this swaddling claws and lying in a manger. One is because the shepherds knew exactly that they had found Jesus. Number two is that the shepherds would know about the swaddling claws in the manger. Why? Because they're shepherds. First of all, the manger is what? A feeding trough. We talked about that last week. It's this filthy, dirty feeding trough that you feed livestock in. So they knew exactly what a manger was. But even more important is these swaddling cloths. And, and let's look at that. In Leviticus 17.11, in the Old Testament Leviticus law that was given to God's people about sacrifice, about atonement, it says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the life. It is the blood that makes atonement. You see, uh, in this Leviticus law, a spotless lamb was required for sacrifice for atonement, the blood of that lamb was required for the atonement of God's people. And these shepherds, in fact, part of their job in shepherding the flock would have been to watch out as, as lambs were born, that they watched for the spotless, spotless lamb, literally a, a perfect coat. But not only that, that, that lamb then needed to be without blemish, without injury, without defect that could have happened after the birth of it. So what would they do? They would take these, these cloths, these specific cloths called swaddling cloths, when the spotless lamb was born, and they would wrap that spotless lamb in swaddling cloths to protect it from defect so that it would be adequate for the sacrifice, adequate for the atonement for their souls. And I'm guessing Mary and Joseph 
didn't bring swaddling cloths for livestock along with them. They probably found them somewhere in the stables. I don't know for sure. But here, Jesus was wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. The shepherds knew what swaddling cloths were. And we know that Christ was to be the atonement for our souls, that the atonement was to be in his blood. And as we celebrate Christmas in this time of year and remembering the miracle birth of Christ, it's of utmost importance that we remember that he was born in order to die, to be an atonement for us. And so now is when we're going to pause and we're going to take the Lord's Supper together. And I would ask you to get those elements out and prepare them. Um, before we take the elements together, we're going to take a, a time for a moment of reflection where you can go to the Lord privately, where you can express gratitude for the spotless lamb that he gave us in Christ, uh, to Christ for his sacrifice of his blood and then subsequent resurrection following his death. Confess of any unrepentant sin uh, so that you can come to the Lord in a worthy, ma worthy manner as we take the bread and the cup together. Let's reflect. The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Amen. We remember his miracle birth. We remember his death, his burial, his resurrection, and something that God really desires of his children, we are his children, is that we remember. I've been following this guy recently and some of the things he's been doing um, some of y'all may have heard of him. Uh, his name is Patrick Mahomes. Um, yeah, okay, you've heard of him, good. Uh, something about Patrick Mahomes and his wife Brittany is that they recently had a child, a little boy. Uh, they have a daughter also, but they have a little boy and Patrick plays football. And so I'm guessing there's gonna be this great anticipation as this little boy grows up, right? Because we've got Patrick Mahomes that is arguably one of the, the best football players in the world. That, uh, that's, that's the most response I've gotten all morning. No spotless lamb, amens, or anything. Just Patrick Mahomes. If he continues in what he's doing, is going to be, become legend and uh, Hall of Fame bound and everything else. And therefore, we're going to watch this child that was born to him, this son, as he grows up and plays Little League football, 
junior high, high school, and on into college and possibly professional and everything. We're going to watch him, and we know who this kid is, and we're going to watch him, right? And we've seen this with other athlete families, the Mannings. Serena Williams has a daughter. I guarantee the whole tennis world is going to be watching closely. So many of LeBron James. LeBron James, got him, okay. All right, so all these athletes and their kids, we're going to be watching closely. What's interesting, though, is the, the shepherds have, they, they come and they proclaim, and they understand who this Christ is and that he is the Messiah. And this word was spread through Bethlehem, and who knows how far else. But then 30 years later, we get Jesus who launches his ministry as performing miracles, causing people to repent and gathering all of these followers. And it's as if they've heard of him for the first time. And that kind of baffles me a little bit. Like, how does that take place? But then it makes sense, doesn't it? Because God's people are forgetful, forgetful people, aren't we? We, we see that, that when the nation of Israel was led out of Egypt, that the, the angel of death passed over their homes and spared their firstborn. It was quick that they forgot. You can read the book of Judges, and we see this pattern of, of forgetfulness and, and regression and redemption by God. And how often do we, as followers of Jesus, forget one of the things that God desires most from his children is that we remember. Verse 13, and suddenly there was, the, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Peace is a word we see a lot this time of year on cards, lit up in lights, on decorations and everything, and we wonder, why is the world not at peace? Because we all get along, right, politically and religiously and, uh, you know, military and everything. We all get along perfect, right? No, because this peace is not speaking of a horizontal peace between mankind, but a vertical peace that we read about in Romans 5.1. It says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God, through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the peace that the host of the heaven is singing about. And how do we know that? That, that, that we're not going to have peace among one another because Christ has come? Because we look at Matthew 10, 34 through 35, which says, Do not think, this is Jesus, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set man, a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Now, ladies, on this last one, it is Christmas time, and God is not calling you to intentionally fulfill this prophecy, okay? Right? This, but God is calling you to stand firm in your convictions. That, that's why there won't be peace among all mankind, because followers of Jesus, we're called to stand firm in our convictions, and if that breaks relationships, so be it. Be at peace as far as it is up to you. Be at peace with everyone, but not so far that you give in on your convictions and what the Lord has called to you to know to be true and to follow through on. The peace in verse 14 here is the peace between God and man. There was enmity between God and man because of the separation of sin. And as we read in Romans, that, that, that enmity has been broken and we now have peace with God through Christ. Verse 15, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. I've got a pop quiz for you. When you're in the house and you walk up to a door, particularly a bathroom door, before just opening that door, what should you do? Knock on the door, okay? 
And if you have kids, you know this requires some training, right? And then even after you train them to knock, you know that the training's not quite done. You see, we got our kids to learn that they're supposed to knock on the door, particularly the bathroom door, maybe like right after I've gotten out of the shower. And, and then they knock on the door, and I, I would say, who is it? And somehow, those words leaving my mouth, as they went through the air and into their ears and to their brain, were translated to, come on in. <laughs> door flies open, and there's an awkward moment. So I have changed my approach. I now provide information. When there is a knock on the bathroom door, when I've gotten out of the shower, I simply provide information. I'm naked. No doors flying open. I just hear, ugh. Which is a bit discouraging when it's my wife. I hear, oh, I say, what do you need? I need to borrow your nail clippers. <laughs> no. You know where you can find some. Cannot borrow my nail clippers. I provide information. What did the, shepherd, what did the angel do for the shepherds? That angel provided information. Did you notice in this that, that the angel didn't say, go to Bethlehem? The angel didn't say, go find this baby. Let's rewind so we can read that specifically. Luke 2 verse 11 says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. There's a baby that's been born. He's the Savior. Information. And this will be a sign for you. There's a sign. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And what we're getting here really is an if-then from the angel. Look, the Savior's been born. And if you go look here, you're going to find the Savior. You're going to find the Christ. And, and what if those shepherds had not followed through on that information that they had been given. And we think, well, of course, they've just been told that Christ has been born. They're going to go find him. But we, we need to ask ourselves, how often do we pass up on information that God has given us? How many if-thens does God give us that we let go? How many blessings do we miss out on? How many times could God have used us that we missed out on to bless others or whatever? He says, if you... If you Ask, it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. He says, if anyone is weary, you can come to me, Jesus said, and you'll find rest for your souls, if then. If anyone is lacking wisdom, let him ask, and God will give it abundantly, if then. How many of these do we pass up on? Maybe even daily. And then the ultimate if then. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The ultimate if then. And that may be some of you this morning, online, in the castle, chapel, wherever you are. You have all the information that you need. You know that you are sinful by nature. You know that you need atonement for your soul. You know that, that Christ was born as the spotless lamb for mankind. You know that he died. He rose again. All you need is to believe in your heart and confess. And uh, if that's you, would you meet with a prayer team member and, and no longer pass up that if-then that God has offered to all the people, all the people, including each and every person in here and everyone that you know. Don't pass up on the if-then. Don't pass up on the information that God has given us. Let's move on. Verse 17 says, And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. 
Your translation may say they spread the word. And so here we have it where they start evangelizing, if you will. They've gotten the good news. They start telling the good news. The news that had been uh, told them concerning this child and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. And then we get this verse 19, which is a little bit buried in here, but I think it's pretty neat. And sometimes we can kind of glaze over it, but let's stop here for a moment. It says, but Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. So you've got Mary that was one of these central figures that knew what was going on, knew who this baby was. That again, from the outside looking in was a mess. It was like the stereotypical Griswold with all the consequences and all the circumstances. And here she is now, the child is born, the shepherds have shown up, and she gets this affirmation from them. And she probably, I'm I'm guessing she thought back to that moment when the angel visited her, and she was fearful, and he said, don't be afraid. And he told her what was going to happen. And she ponders that, and then she she ponders the, the road trip that was required, maybe the moment that Joseph said, hey, um... There's this thing we're going to have to do uh, about 100 miles away and how that conversation might have gone. And then the trip there. And then the circumstances around getting there and the birth of the child. She ponders all of these things. And what does she do? She stops and takes a moment to remember. What does God desire of his children? He wants them to remember. And we have so many things to remember and to be grateful for. And this is why it's important in our daily prayer life that we approach God with an attitude of thankfulness. That we express gratitude for the things that he's done for us, the things that he's given us. And you may say, I don't have much to be thankful for. You have the breath in your lungs and you have the grace given to you because of the spotless lamb. And I would say that's very few of us that that's all we have to be thankful for. And look at Mary and the circumstances that she was in. That, that she had just gone through all of this. She is just hours after giving birth, and she's pondering these things and remembering, remembering them in her heart. Verse 20 then says, And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. I like this. This, this is neat. I like all of it, but this one's pretty neat for a specific reason. We read that the shepherds returned. The shepherds were just visited by an angel Given this, this, this big information, they go find the Messiah and they tell everybody about it. And you know what the, the, these shepherds that were these, these lowly people that had this lowly job, this humble and lowly uh, vocation, you know what they didn't do? You know what? I'm special now. I'm going to start this ministry. I'm going to change jobs because I don't need to do this job. Look what's just happened through me, what the Lord has used me for. What did they do? They returned. The shepherds returned to watch over their flocks. And what did, what, what did they do as they went, though? They glorified and praised God. No matter what you do, no matter your vocation, no matter where you get your paycheck from, even if you don't get a paycheck for your work, because I know a lot of full-time moms that don't get a paycheck, that work hard every day, no matter what you do on a day-to-day basis, you can return after God has called you to something, given you great news, And he desires for you, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, if you're a teacher, if you're a builder, if you're a server, if you're an entertainer, if you are a full-time mom, if you're a nurse, a banker, and the list goes on and on and on. You don't have to change what you're doing. You can return. You've got news that God has given you. You've got things that God wants to do. You've got if-thens that God has placed in your life that you can do right where you are today. 
Every member is a minister. You hear that a lot here, and we believe it. Followers of Jesus, you are called to be a minister of the gospel of Christ. And then finally, verse 21. It says, and at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. This name Jesus in the, in the Hebrew is Yeshua, which is an abbreviation for Yahweh saves, meaning that God saves. The spotless lamb that was wrapped in swaddling cloths, who, who, who was to be the atonement for our souls. Yahweh saves, God saves. And I, I believe that he has that name to help us remember. When we say the name Jesus, we remember that God saves. He sent us atonement for our souls. He sent us peace that we can have with him. No longer at odds with God because of our sin condition, our sin nature. And so, church, we remember that if, if we want to prepare ourselves to be in a place where God can use us for big things, even little things, uh, for his kingdom, we need to humble ourselves and know his scripture. Be ready. And then when, when God calls you to something and it's a bit uncomfortable because it's outside of your comfort zone, what does he say? Don't be afraid. Oh, fear no evil, for you are with me. He's given you a lot of information. He doesn't even have to send an angel, right, to call you to something, to give you more information. He's given you his word and a lot of if-thens. And what will you do with that information? You are in full-time ministry, regardless of your vocation. And in everything that we do, we remember. We remember his miracle birth. We remember that he was and is the spotless lamb. We remember his death, burial, and resurrection. And for that, we are grateful. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we're grateful. And we remember uh, the death on the cross uh, that shed the blood that represented the life that is atonement, uh, Lord, for our souls. We thank you for this Christmas season, and Father, I, I pray specifically for those who have lost loved ones in the last year, or particularly around Christmas time where this may be a tough season for them, and, and we pray blessings of peace upon them and for the friends and family around them to understand and help them walk through this time together as we know it can be a tough time uh, because of the memories, because of uh, the the, the past and, uh, Father, the pain that it can bring. We pray that as a church we can come around and bring peace, help bring peace uh, to those through you and your son Christ. It's his name that we pray. And everyone agreed and said, amen. amen. We love you.